You're listening to Radio Boise, and I'm Olivia Weitz. In this next half an hour, you're going to hear a special broadcast featuring stories from right here in your backyard. Recently, we launched a storytelling initiative where we're striving to put more voices on the radio while providing a venue for those who want to learn more about audio storytelling. In that spirit, teams and individuals gathered at the station over a weekend in November to produce stories on the theme, My Ecosystem. Since most teams finish the task in 48 hours, we're calling it Radio Boise's November Radio Race. Early on, we'll travel to the edges of the Treasure Valley to hear how landowners are responding to a developing landscape. We then hear more reactions, this time political ones, from a post-election unity rally. Towards the end of the broadcast, stories take on more cultural notes and later an intimate turn. First up, a story by Caleb Hansen. The ecosystems of Boise's parks and wetlands are home to many familiar and also exotic birds. Caleb introduces us to over a dozen Boise birds through the distinct sounds they make. My ecosystem is Boise, Idaho, and within that ecosystem is an entire world of birds. One of the most exemplary species of ducks is that of a wood duck, which can be found in Catherine Albertson Park and along the Boise Greenbelt. Another absolutely stunning looking diving duck is that of a hooded merganser, whose crackling call can be heard from any given male. And of course, can't forget about those ubiquitous American coots who can be found waiting around the water. Most anywhere, other ducks are found. And if you're ever along for a stroll along the Boise Greenbelt, listen for this crackling call of a belted kingfisher. One of the trademark American birds, an American robin, Now let's go up into a different part of this Boise ecosystem, up into the foothills of Holes Gulch Reserve. Another American classic, black-capped chickadee. One of my favorite calls, the yank 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 of a red-breasted nuthatch, an American classic. A rock wren fluttering about the megalithic black cliffs along the Boise River. California quail right along the whole Gulch main lower line trail. A spotted toey giving its mew call. What about these ecosystem engineers? Woodpeckers the trademark ray gun call of a northern flicker. P- 
affiliated woodpecker interaction calls, definitely being one of the primary inspirations for Woody Woodpecker, one of my favorite, if not my favorite, woodpecker. And of course, atop the avian food chain, raptors. Here's a call that most people would recognize to be a bald eagle, one that in fact it is the most ubiquitous North American raptor, the red-tailed hawk. an American kestrel hanging out on the phone lines. Inconspicuous species of birds that will tend to hang out at parks like Catherine Alverson and Ann Morrison would be a western creature. Giving out its trademark basketball dribble of a call. One of the more inconspicuous species of birds based off their sound, the cedar waxwing. And lastly, one of my favorite songbirds, a bohemian waxwing. Keep your ears and eyes peeled as they arrive down here in Boise and the greater Treasure Valley area this winter. This has been a production of Radio Boise. My name is Caleb Hansen, and I hope to see you out there on the trail, listening, watching, appreciating, and loving our fellow feathered earthlings. In the Treasure Valley, we've seen farmland become subdivisions. But maybe we haven't taken a moment to ponder how the sound landscape also changes when that happens. Listen for that in this next piece where Wayne Burt visits his dad's farm. How long have you lived here? 41 years. Albert lives on an 80-acre farm south of Nampa. It began in 1975 as a hog farm, but in the 80s he turned it into a haven for equine. Donkeys, mules, and horses. He's also my dad. On the property is an enclosed arena, and on any given weekend the place is bustling with activity. Horse shows, riding clubs, dressage contests, and trail riding skills competitions. Al and his wife Melinda welcome the attendees. They are, as they say, their people. But lately they've had other visitors, development, houses, planned suburbs cropping out of former farmland. But as Al puts it, development isn't the only thing that develops. Al's thoughts about it are evolving too. Seen development coming for a long time uh, and kind of developed the, the philosophy that, that, that my neighbors or whoever they are developing have every right to, do, to develop and I respect that as I would expect them to respect what I've done here uh, for, for the last 41 years and, and maybe even, I don't know, maybe even 10 or 15 more. But there have sure been minor irritations, this, this construction process, the sounds of the rock trenchers going all day and the, and the backup buzzers and the cement trucks and the hammers and, and just general construction processes. But Al's been around long enough to know what happens when the sounds of construction die down. Maybe when these are all finished and it gets quiet in these neighborhoods and people buy these houses and move into them, maybe they'll look to me as being that annoyance because of the way I farm and the animals I have here and things. He says maybe, but he's also told me it's already happened. Call it Albert's theory of rural sound equilibrium. And in honor of that, the Southside Boulevard Alfalfa Equine Concerto would bring an E minor.
animals were harmed in the making of this piece. Music is Kamiku with Victory and Tramp Song by Jimmy Oder. Produced by Wayne Burt for Radio Boise. Aging farmers near growing cities sometimes have limited options. Farmer Lawrence Gray told myself and Holly Beach about the circumstances that led him to make a difficult decision. The hardest decision I made when I sold it. Because I just, I'd been, that's all I'd done all my life is farm. And I just couldn't hardly stand to give that up. But, you know, economics just made it. So yeah, I had to do it. Farmers on the edge of growing cities face tough decisions as they age. Do you sell your land or preserve it for the next generation? Producer Holly Beach and I visited 87-year-old farmer Lawrence Gray at his farmhouse. He lives near Nampa. Lawrence, how are you? Good to see you. Lawrence lives across the street from the first field he ever owned. Near that, cars zoom by on the highway. It's much busier than when he first started farming in the 1950s. There's also a new high school just down the road. The rest of that ground will be houses around the school. That's only a natural process. Though Lawrence saw the number of local farmers dwindle over the years, he was proud to stick with it. But 12 years ago, in his mid-70s and steeped in debt, Lawrence got a phone call from his son. He said, Dad, what do we do? He said, we've been offered, well, 50000 an acre cash. And, boy, I just about broke up. But I couldn't refuse it because I owed money. I'm not, I'm not sorry the decision. I hated it to think that it was going to be developed into houses. These days, developers are paying anywhere from 15000 to 80000 an acre for farmland that's close to city services. This is according to Collier's international land broker, John Starr. Treasure Valley residents care about saving farmland and open space. This year, Boise State researchers polled the public on this subject, and over half the respondents said they favored preserving farmland over building affordable housing. Nationwide, preserving open space is gaining momentum, says Julia Grant. She works with the Idaho Coalition of Land Trusts. Tuesday, Election Day, the ballot initiatives across this country that dealt with land conservation, and land conservation for a variety of reasons, for parks and open space, water, wildlife, scenic values, agricultural values, they passed overwhelmingly in red states, in blue states, in red counties, in blue counties. It seems to be an issue that people that hit at the heart of what people see in their community. In Idaho, there are only two conservation efforts that are backed by public dollars, including the Boise Foothills Levy. That was approved twice by voters. And in all, there are around 20 groups across the state that are working on land conservation. If we as a greater community want to look at how our Treasure Valley is going to develop over time and the businesses that we're going to support and the land uses that we're going to support. We need to think about these things now. For farmer Lawrence Gray, it's more than just land use. It's about what the lifestyle represents. There's only three things that really are important in life, and that's sun, soil, and water. Without it, we have nothing. And and the farmer takes care of that, he nurses it. That's the most important thing in life. Music is True North by Adam Seltzer and Springish by Gillicuddy. This piece was produced by Olivia Wheats and Holly Beach.
listening to Radio Boise. In this half hour, it's a special broadcast. And after this message, you'll hear more stories from our November radio race. Take 5, the jazz standard written by Paul Desmond, was first recorded in its unusual 5-4 time by the Dave Brubeck Quartet on their 1959 album, Time Out. The song has garnered much radio play, as well as live performances, since Desmond's death. In fact, performance royalties for Desmond's work generate a staggering $100,000 a year for the Red Cross, whom he deemed the beneficiary. Similarly, each community member who donates a little to Radio Boise contributes to the collective effort that, with everyone's help, adds up to enough to keep us on the air each year. Consider taking five extra dollars out of your reserves and adding it to our ongoing performance here at Radio Boise. Take five was often the closing number at live concerts by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Each member of the band would play his solo, then leave the stage until only the drummer was left. Give an extra $5 a month to help us finish strong while allowing all the players a chance to play their part. Won't you take five to add five and join us today? To donate, go to radioboise.org and help us take five more years of your affection and turn it into a decade. After the presidential election, people gathered in front of the Boise Capitol for a unity rally. In this next piece, you'll hear voices from the rally, including State Representative Sue Chu. The event was organized by a group of high school women. Don't lose hope, because we're, we're here. I am protesting in the name of all of my friends, family members, and loved ones, because the majority of them are considered a minority in the campaign that Trump is running. All of them are going to have their rights stripped away, and it's not right. It affects me as a woman, my boyfriend as a transgender. It affects so much, and I I can't sit down while there is a a bully that is in our presence and causing other people to act out in hate. We we can't have that in our state. We can't have that in our world. We, We need to try to find the best in each other and love one another. Uh, Katie, I am 13. I think that's important for all of us to not just focus on the election. It's affecting how we treat each other with all the hate crimes. I think it's important that we stop that before anything else happens. More, it's now important that we all stick together and we make sure that nobody's getting deported or there's not a wall being built that everybody's treated, being treated fairly. I think that I'm protesting so much as trying to stand for a way of speaking about my position that doesn't continue to divide a community that's already so divisive. Um, I feel in this election that there are a lot of things about me as a person that have been directly attacked and I am very emotional about that and I want to figure out a way to direct that in a, pr- a productive way. So this is what we did. In Boise, I've had friends to hear racial slurs and be told they're not welcome here. And I think the thing that feels so disorienting is just feeling like we're not past that. And that that's what we're in right now. And that's what we have to fight. And like, I've come here today because I feel angry and I feel sad and confused because I thought I understood where we were. And I just want it to change. I'm just very proud of this, um, this generation for stepping up and getting out there and saying, um, you know, what they think and fighting, you know, for the rights of other people. You know, fighting for people with disabilities, fighting for people of different color, standing up for other religions. I'm super proud of them.
My name is Representative Suchu. I love our work here today because it's like, yeah, let's do a change. Let's do a wholesome change that works for all of us. That's why this unity, peace, unity is so important because all of us were kind of wondering, like, this ain't working, what are we gonna do? So let's do something that works for everybody. Make sure everyone's voice is included. We'd like to see how folks, you know, wanna engage and just showing everyone this is the people's house. You are welcome here, the people's business. So can we engage everyone and learn along with it, speak up, you know, as you need. People have so much power. We gotta support these kids, otherwise they will never be able to stand up. It is up to all of us to be people of safety and people of stability. It's up to us to listen to and trust the stories of other bodies that are different than our own. Stand with them and to stand for them. I'd like to take a second to thank Nora and Colette and Maddie. They've created an opportunity for both sides of the fence to use their First Amendment right to speak out. And I want to thank everyone that's here and everyone that's on the other side of the street for being here today. This piece was recorded on the steps of the Boise Capitol at the Unity Rally and produced by Russell Bridges and Jim Fredrickson for Radio Boise. The names of the individuals interviewed during this rally are Sam, Spider-Maid, Katie, Mallory, Kristen, Valerie, Sue Chu, and Pastor Marcy. In this next piece, Hernan Guerra documents the sounds and tells us the story behind an offbeat Mexican restaurant that people in the area know of only by word of mouth. Daniel Yoshida helped produce this piece. <laughs> This is Doña Maria. In order to protect her and her business, we changed her name and won't mention her location. She has a restaurant. Well, sort of. She also had a restaurant, but she has one now too. When it was legit, she used to dish out the classics of Mexican comida economía. Located among many different office buildings, she and her crew would be swamped during lunch. The volume was so high, her daughter, who would help out in the dining room, would often shout to the back of the house as Doña Maria was cooking away in the kitchen. People could call in and order out, but this food wasn't meant to be eaten after the 10 minutes it was taken off the griddle, tossed into a carry-out box, taken to your office, and eaten in the comfort of your own little space. It was meant to be eaten here. The beginning was good, it was really good, but by the second year the recession had hit and everything, well, didn't work out so well. During that time, many businesses had to downsize, and despite being popular for the lunch crowd, she too had to shut down a year after they had thought they had finally got their business going. With her children either married or moved out of the house, she needed to do something to sustain herself. There wasn't anybody else in the picture, and she wasn't ready to rely on her children as a form of social security. With the small amount of savings that the family had pitched in and scrounged together, that helped her get started up again, but this time in the comfort of her own home, or more specifically, out of her garage. As you walk in, you immediately notice these things. One, a pot full of what is most likely filled with pozole. Two, the flat top. Three, a rotating cast of close confidants and neighbors sitting at the dining table in the middle of our garage. The dining table is draped with a tablecloth safeguarded by linoleum, a staple in every Latino home. 
and four, plastic cups where yogurt and sour cream used to be, now filled with essential seasonings and condiments. Among them, oregano and cane sugar called biloncillo, affectionately called a Spanish euphemism for female reproductive organs. Like many new trending up-and-coming restaurants, she has a rotating menu, often consisting of pozole, birria, gorditas, and with the equipment she has, the potential is endless. It's only by word of mouth and recommendation that you find yourself here. But very much unlike many up-and-coming restaurants, there are no pieces of art, no menu. The only constant things here are her, her equipment, and her food. Despite being known for her prowess in the kitchen, which now in this case also surrounds her dining table and guests, she rarely ever tries her food. Sometimes people tell her how delicious her food is or how spicy it is, but she, she wouldn't have a clue. The truth is, at the end of the day, she's content with some beans and queso cotija, maybe a fried egg if she's feeling it. She knows these recipes by heart and knows when the masa feels just right. These are the recipes and techniques taught to her by her mother and her grandmother, an oral culture, a tradition that she has continued to this day. Despite all this adversity, her mantra from the comal straight into her belly has stayed the same. Except now, she's not only sharing her food, but her home for roughly $10 a dish. For Radio Boise, this is Hernan Guerra. Music is by Fantasy Crisis, and the song is called You Never Know. Nobody ever said potty training would be easy. Maddie, who's a strong-willed four-year-old, says she's not ready to grow up just yet. Her father, Carl Burnett, brings us excerpts from a 24-hour potty training diary. It's Friday evening. My daughter and I are coloring at the kitchen table. On my page is a blue and green dragonfly. So you were saying you don't want to be a big kid? No. Why not? I don't. Too much responsibility? Because um, Mama cost me my, her little baby, that's why. Oh, you know what, though? You'll still be Mama's little baby, even if you can use the potty. But I can't. Maddie turned four in September. She's a thoughtful kid. She's also smart. A few months ago, she started watching a YouTube video and said, Hey, this is in Japanese. We don't speak Japanese, but she was right. Like her parents, though, she can be really, really stubborn. Um, I don't like ketchup. No, I don't. The last time my wife Mary and I tried to get Maddie to stop wearing diapers, it ended in screaming and tears. I read something online that said, no matter how much you encourage kids, punish them, or bribe them, using the toilet is not something they'll do until they're ready to. Don't worry, they'll be ready someday. This made sense. We'd wait her out. This past week, our patience ran out again. It started to seem a little ridiculous to have a kid who could write legibly and pronounce the word ichthyosaur, but had no sense of when she had to go to the bathroom. So... On Friday, we told her, starting tomorrow, there's no more diapers in the daytime. This is an audio diary of Saturday, November 12th, the day the diapers went away. Maz, do you want to get up with me and have some breakfast? No, I don't want to. Well, 
Well, sweetie, today is tomorrow. No, I'm Most of the morning went about like this. We definitely tried bribery. Listen, if you don't try making a pee pee, there's no movies. But if you do, then you can watch a movie. Okay? No. Yep. No. Well, then no movies. Ah, <laughs> uh, what do we do? Seems impossible. It's a battle of wills, and we just have to stick with it, and she will cave eventually. Okay, I hope you're right. Eventually, we resorted to something that's occasionally worked in the past, getting Maddie to go pee out in the backyard with Mary. Maddie wouldn't let me go out there with him, so I had to set up the recorder and then go inside. From Papa closed the door, start peeing in the backyard. Papa, you want to come with me? Yeah, but first Papa closed yeah, the door. Now we can. Okay. I'm going down the steps. Okay, can you pee right here? Um, I'm going to pee right here. By the day's end, Maddie had peed once outside and once in her underwear, and she'd stopped demanding to wear diapers. So... Not an unqualified success, but not a bad start either. It was my turn to put Maddie to bed that night. She seemed pretty exhausted. Maddie, how do you think our day went today? Mm, I don't know. I love you, Maddie. I love you too. I'm proud of you. Because you're growing up. Ready to brush your teeth? No. Well, tomorrow's another day. This piece was written and produced by me, Carl B., for Radio Boise. The music, Holiday Instrumental by Silence is Sexy, is used under a Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike license. Big thanks to my wife Mary for being awesome and for going along with this. You're listening to Radio Boise, and in this last half an hour you've been listening to a special broadcast of local stories produced for Radio Boise's November Radio Race. To listen to these stories again, visit Radio Boise's SoundCloud page. And if you'd like to participate in our next radio race in February, contact Olivia at RadioBoise.org. That's all for now, folks. Thanks for tuning in. The music underneath this broadcast is Chunk of Lawn by Jazzar. <laughs>